um, I would like to uh, tell you um, about who I am, and um, but I'm not going to have much time for that. And I'm gonna, but I'm just going to tell you first of all that my name is Suzanne Eason. I live in Baxley, Georgia. Um, I have um, walked seriously on fire for the Lord for about 36 years. Uh, been saved since I was eight. So I've been in church all my life, was in the nursery and the church and all that. So my whole life has been um, in church and, you know, walking with the Lord. And I love him dearly. Um, that's my passion. That's my love. I'd rather do that than anything else in the whole world. And um, uh, God is beginning to open doors for me to go to the nations and carry the gospel there. That has just been wonderful. It has been above and beyond all that I can think or imagine, the anointing and the, and the revival and the level of what God's doing in the other countries makes us, just puts us to shame here in the U.S. But I am so excited because I have a message this morning that's going to let you know what God's wanting to do here in America. You know, I got kind of grieved when I uh, have gone to several of the countries and I would go there and I would see God move in power and in might. Miracles, signs, wonders, children, little kids. I mean, you, you know, the thing about kids is they don't do a lot of faking it and a lot of putting on. They're not a real religious because they don't know about that stuff yet. And so they just are pretty much just honest, you know, or just out there. They just kind of say, oh, your hair looks awful. You know, they just, they're just honest. They just tell you. And, uh, well, the same thing in the spirit. I mean, you know, if it's not going on, they, you know, they're bored stiff and they don't want to be there. And, uh, but here's little kids being slain in the spirit and having visions and traveling in the spirit realm with Jesus. And they're telling me that they're riding on the cloud with Jesus. I mean, you know, they're having all kinds of just experiences that you can't, you know, you can't make up. You know, it's, it's just real stuff going on and it, it's just amazing. But anyway, um, I was a little grieved when I came back uh, from one of my trips because I said, now, Lord, I know that you're the same God in America as you are when you were over in, in, you know, over in Mexico. And I said, now, I know I'm the same person when I'm in America and when I'm in Mexico. What's going on here? You know, what's wrong? Why are we not seeing it in America? What's the problem? And he said... <clears throat> The people in America are spoiled. They're spoiled rotten. They have a drugstore on every corner, a doctor on every street, a grocery store about anywhere you turn, fast food restaurants. You can get food at 1 o'clock in the morning if you're hungry. Abundance is everywhere. And if for any reason it's not like that, hey, we got a government that'll fix everything. They'll give us the money to fix everything. If hurricane hurricane comes through and tears down some houses, hey, the government will come back and fix it and build it all back for you and everybody will be reimbursed. You know, we've got this mentality that somebody's going to fix everything for us and that we've got to fix it mentality. And we don't need a God. Why do we need God? But there, they don't have that because their government's already failed them. They know that the government's not going to bail them out. They know that their governments can't provide a welfare program. I mean, they don't. They know that they can't get doctors and medical uh, supplies because it's not available. They've already gotten to that point that we have not gotten to. And they said, okay, we've got to find a real God. We've got to tap into you know, to this, this God that is supposed to be alive and well and can do miracles. And so they're tapping into it, and they're getting it, and they're receiving, and they're having healings and, and great manifestations. And so God has opened the doors and has put me with people who are flowing in that. And it is just amazing. And, um, and I've got invitations. I'm telling you, the people are starving. They're hungry. They're wanting the gospel. They're wanting the word. They're wanting it, and they're ready to take it and go with it. They're not sitting there complacent and thinking, oh, okay, well, how much longer? i got to go. Because they are in desperate need. But see, when the Lord was speaking that to me, he said, but I'm getting them ready. He was talking about the U.S. people. He says, but I'm getting them ready. 
And right after that, because I think that was in spring of 08, <laughs> whew, things began to fall apart. The little bottom started falling out of the bag, and things began to move, and things began to shake, and it got messy. It got messy. And I said, okay, I see it, Lord. You're getting us ready. You're shaking what's important to us, and that's our money. You're shaking our money system and our economy because that's what's going to wake us up. We pray. And I've always been one of those, and, and thank the Lord, I guess it was the Lord gave me that kind of heart, but I've always been one of those. I hate to have to learn something the hard way. You know, you hear about kids and they, well, you know, they just have to learn the hard way. They're just going to have to walk through it to learn it. And I've always said, Lord, please don't make, you know, help me not be one of those kind of people that I have to go through some hard thing before I ever learn my lesson. Said, please let me be wise enough, you know, to look at what's going on with somebody else and say, Oh Lord, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm not gonna go there. You know, help us as people to begin to learn from what we're seeing other people go through. And you may be one of those that's going through hard things. But if you're not, please think about what other people are going through and say, you know, if that were not for the grace of God, that could be me. And go ahead and learn and grow up. But the Lord told me one thing. He said, you tell the people, your message will be, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so one of the major things that I began to speak in 08 was it's time to get your closets cleaned out, your pockets cleaned out, because the Lord was talking to me about the shaking. He said, you know, everything that is not uh, on the solid rock of Jesus is going to be shaken. And I was concerned about that because there were some major things happening um, at the beginning of fall of 08, some people really hurting and going through some hard things. And I was weeping and I was crying and I said, Lord, please, you know, you know, hold your judgment just a little while longer. Give us a little more time. Um, and, but anyway, the Lord said, don't be worried about the shaking. He said, be worried about what's going to fall out of the pockets of those that I'm shaking. Because he was saying things are going to be exposed. Things are going to begin to come out and be exposed. And if you don't repent and get it taken care of, judgment's going to have to come on it. Tell them to get their lives cleaned up. Tell them to repent. If you've got problems you cannot deal with, if you've got drug problems, you've got pornography problems, whatever it is, and you don't feel like you can go, Christian that knows you go somewhere and get some help get it dealt with repent cry out to the Lord say Lord I don't want to be like this I don't want to be this way I want help help me to get help but he said get it dealt with because you're going to keep that thing hidden in your pocket thinking nobody knows about it nobody knows what I do when I'm behind closed doors and he says, I'm telling you, it is going to come out of the pocket and all the world's going to see it and it's going to be judged and you're going to hurt yourself and many, many others. He said, deal with the sin. So I'm telling you now, repent and deal with your stuff. Get your closets cleaned. Get your pockets cleaned out. And um, because things are going to be, you know, one of the number nine, you know, coming in 09 and people like to do number stuff, but... Um, one of the things about the number nine is that it is it does represent fruitfulness. Yes, it does. And I believe we're going to see some fruitful stuff come forth. People who have sown are going to reap. But you know how that is. You sow good things, you're going to what? Reap good things. You reap bad things. I mean, you sow bad things, guess what you're going to get? So as a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But then also he was saying the number nine is also a number of judgment. And so I'm telling you, there's going to be some things being judged in 09. And so we want to make sure that that doesn't have to include us because we've already, you know, it's easy. Just I mean, it's better just to go on and repent and get your stuff cleaned up and not have to have God judge it later and have to learn it the hard way. So, well, I wish I had gone on and dealt with that myself privately and then I wouldn't have had that to come forth. Well, that's not my message today. And I was trying to tell you about me uh, so that, you would know a little bit about who's speaking to you. But um, God has sent me with a word for you today that is, uh, I believe, is going to bless you. And it's a word that um, 
all the churches need to hear right now. And, we're, and it's going to be about our identity crisis. People, we're in an identity crisis. We do not know who we are. You know, at one time in history, people uh, lived in remote areas. The communication was not like it is today. People lived on farms and and they lived in little towns, and there were very little communication. And, you know, you grew up on a farm, and your daddy farmed. Your daddy grew tobacco. Your gra- dad grew corn. Then you kind of grew up, and you worked on the farm, and you grew tobacco, and you grew corn. You became a farmer because that's what you knew. That's what you, were, you saw. Your image that you were given was that of what your parents provided, that image of, of what you were to be. On the other hand, if you grew up in a bad situation, your daddy was a drunk, you know, and he beat his beat your mama, and you had all these horrible things going on, and it seemed to kind of just get deep in you, and you just kind of fell into that same kind of lifestyle because that's all you knew. So people were tended to kind of take on the image that was given to them by their parents. And if, you know, if you were in a good home and they provided good um you know, structure and and leadership and and guidance for you. That's kind of the way you proceeded. But today, that's not the situation. Today, there's too much information out there. There's too much example. There's too many examples of what we should be. Now we see all kinds of things. I was listening to a program on, it was some kind of science program, and you probably watch them too, but but it was telling you all about the stuff that's going on in science this day and time. And they were talking about now where you can um, go on this um, computer, I mean this software package, and it's a virtual reality thing. You can then create your own image. You set up your own, you can be a robot. You can be an animal, you can be a, um, a lion or a tiger, you can put on, you, you know, you can just fix yourself like you want to be. Create your identity. And then you go into this city and there's other people, they've created their identities, and you go on there and y'all interact and you talk and you visit and you become friends and you do all this stuff and it's a, um, you create your own identity. And so this one girl, she was saying that she had become this, she was some kind of, um, something like a Wonder Woman. Just, you know, had on this, you know, thing, this outfit. that was a real spacey, but, of course, she had a wonderful body and, you know, had this real wild purple hair shooting out this side. And just a real kind of wild look. And then this guy had gone on there, and he was, um, let me think what he was. He was something else, but he was more of a, um, some kind of animal. And so they were in this park, and they were talking, and they get to liking each other, and they get to talking and all that. Well, then one day they fall in love. And so they're talking about how they fell in love in this virtual reality place where they're not really who they are. So, anyway, I'm telling you this. We are totally confused. Our whole society, our people are confused. They have no idea who they are. And I'm telling you why they don't know is because... There's no example set for them because most parents are not at home. They're working three or four jobs. And they don't see the family unit. Most of them don't have extended family, grandpas and grandmas and and aunts and uncles and cousins like you and I grew up around. And so they don't have any example of what they're supposed to be. They go to school, and, I mean, it's weird there. People are, you know, dressed like this, and it's cool to be that, and it's cool to be that. And you watch the movies, and if you don't look like Paris Hilton and you don't have all the little stuff and, you know, you just don't have all this little society thing that you're in, then somehow you just don't measure up. You are second rate if you can't keep up with the Paris Hiltons and all the, you know, those others that are out there. And then the guys are totally, feel like they're totally losers because they don't look like the guys that are, you know, shown to them in the, in the magazines. You know, if they're not all hooked up and they're not this or that, or if they're not on the Fortune 500, you're a loser. You know, so we are told this thing about our image that has got us just totally confused. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know our purpose. And we are just, you know, frustrated people. And so I'm here today to tell you who you are and what you're here for. And I want you to hear this because it's going to set you free. And I can't see without my glasses. So. 
And I was going to tell you, I've left some cards on the back back there so that you can go to my website and read more about me and what I do and all about me, so if you're curious. Um, but anyway, um, we're going to be looking, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the original maker. You know, that's a good thing to do. If you want to know why some, what somebody, what something is created to do, what it's for and all of that, just go back to the manufacturer and find out, now, what was this product produced for and what was it supposed to do? So we're going to say, now, what was mankind produced for and what were we supposed to do? I think we've forgotten. Or maybe we never knew. I don't know. But um, let's look here for just a minute. And I'm going to have a lot of scripture. And I would just say, if you can really turn quickly, keep up. If you can't, just jot them down and listen. Because I'm going to run through a lot of scripture. And, um, and you may or may not have time to follow me as far as looking it up. But we're going to look at a scripture where um, the Word of God tells us. It tells us, it says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boast, boast about this. Now he said, don't go around talking about how wise you are and how you just know so much and you're so intelligent. Don't let, you know, don't go around talking about how strong you are and how powerful you are. Don't go around boasting about how rich you are and you've got this boat and that boat and all that. But if you're going to boast, let me tell you what you need to boast about. This is what the Word of God says. He that understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. In these do I delight, declares the Lord. And that's in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. He said, let, you, let the man not boast about his wisdom or his strength or his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. What he wants you to know is when if you get to the point where you know the Lord and you know all about him and what he can do, then you start bragging. But until you do, you don't have anything to say. He said, I want you to... Boast that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises goodness, kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. He wants us to go around bragging about him. He wants us to go around talking about how he is a God of kindness. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. And he wants us to brag about him on the earth. And he said he delights in that when we brag about him. But when we brag about ourselves, he don't like that. When we look at the word, the very first scripture, in the very first sentence in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. So we're going to look at God and see who he is. And he identifies himself to us. And we know a lot of things about God. We know that he is a God of love. We know God is love. We know that the God is Uh, The Word, because he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So we know that the Word is God. God is his Word. We know God is love. But there's one more thing we we need to know about God. God is a God of power. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Um, In Romans 8, 29, Paul tells us that we are to be conformed into the image of his Son. Okay? Well, the word conformed is to, be, uh, is to correspond in form or character, to be similar, to act like or to be in accord with or in agreement with or to comply or to agree with, to act in accordance with current customs or modes, and I'm just giving you definitions. So we know that in the beginning was God, And we know that in Romans, we're jumping over a little bit, and all this is going to come together, that we are told that we are to be conformed in the image of his dear son, Jesus. Now, what image is the son in? And that tells us in Romans, in Romans 8, 29, it says, we are to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are also told in Colossians 1, 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So we know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
Jesus went around saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You remember the Pharisees would get totally irate. They would just get so mad when he would say something like that. He would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are one. And he says right here that we are to be conformed into the image of the Son. And then it says in Colossians that he is in the image of the invisible Father. So if we're to be conformed into the image of his Son, we're actually being conformed into the image of God. Which if you remember in, uh, in Genesis, in the beginning when we were created, we were created in the image of God. Remember that? All right. Stay with me. So let's look at God then a little bit more in detail and find out a little bit more about him. Now, in Genesis 17, 1, he declares, I am God Almighty. When Abram was 96 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The prophet Jeremiah declares, Jeremiah 10, 12, He, God, has made the earth by his power. He has established the worlds by his wisdom, and he has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. But he has made the earth by his power. In Psalms, David declares, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. So God is a great God of power. His wisdom is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Now listen to this one. I want you to learn this one. Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Everybody say that. Where the word of a king is, there is what? Power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. We're coming back to that one. All this is going to make sense in a minute. Um, We see God move in power all through his word. Um, Power above the power of all other kingdoms and all other uh, forces and all other powers. We see God... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) We see God uh, moving in power when um, when he uh, destroyed the earth uh, in Noah's time with with the flood. We see such great power. We see God moving in power when, he, uh, when we see the journey of Moses and the deliverance of the people. And he gave them a cloud by day and a fire by night. We see uh, the power of God when he ra- uh, folds back the uh, Red Sea and allows them to walk across on dry land. We see God's power demonstrated with uh, Daniel in the lion's den. When Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and he locks the mouths of the lion. We see Daniel. Uh, God display his power when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace and and it doesn't even singe the hairs of their head. We see a kind of power that is not comprehensible to most of us. And so we know God is truly a God of power. In Daniel 6, 27, he, God, delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in the heaven and on, on earth. God was and God is a God of power. And you've got to understand that and you've got to comprehend with, with all the amount of intellect that you have that God is truly a magnificent and powerful God. That nothing is impossible with him. Nothing. And don't you think if he created us, He's able to fix us if we're broken. If we need healing in our body, if we need healing in our hearts, if we need healing in our spirits, if we need healing in our finances, if whatever it is, don't you think that the God that was able to make us, create us, that he should be able to fix us? Don't you think when you buy uh, an appliance from somebody, a a washing machine, and it breaks down, don't you think that the people who made that washing machine should have the knowledge and the ability to fix it? Yes, we do. And they can. Because they were the creator of that. They were the maker of it. 
Well, let's look at Jesus a little bit because he says, you are to be, uh, to conform to the image of his dear son. So we need to be the, in the image of Jesus, which Jesus clearly tells us, uh, I, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let's look at Jesus. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, I want to read to you. It says, now after that, John was put in prison. And Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now it says that after John the Baptist, now let me tell you this. The prophets were silent for four or five hundred years. And all of a sudden when God, when God was about to do something magnificent upon the earth. When God was about to do something really important upon the earth by sending his son Jesus, guess what the first thing he does? He sends a prophet. Because, you know, the word of God tells us that he says, I'll do nothing lest I first reveal it to the prophets. So the prophets had been silent for 400 years. Nothing had been spoken. Then all of a sudden... A prophet comes on the scene, and his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, God don't want you accusing him of saying, I didn't warn you. See, God don't want you to say, Well, you didn't tell us. You didn't tell us you were going to do that. We'd have repented if you'd have told us. So he'll always send the prophet first to warn you. He'll send the prophet to speak warning. And to speak what's going on or what's about to happen. Now, if you receive the prophets, you receive the prophets' reward. If you deny the prophets, you reject the prophets, then that, uh, that comes upon you and you're judged for that. But John the Baptist was sent on the scene to announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that then Jesus came on the scene. So it says, after, Jesus, after John was thrown into prison, then Jesus went all into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this. We are in an important time in history because we are moving out of a time period that we've been in for a long time called the church age and we are moving into something now called the kingdom age. And all of the people that are refusing to move and to make that transition are going to be just left out of what's going on, I guess, is what you can call it. I don't know what to call it. Uh, I believe those people that have a heart toward God and love him, they're definitely saved and going to heaven. So I'm not going to say that they're not going to heaven. That's not for me to choose or to judge or even to speak on. That's between you and God, but the person. But I'm telling you, things are changing. And we know in the word, um, you know, he says, Behold, I do a new thing. Shall you not perceive it? Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are being made new. God's about to do some new things in our earth. And that's why we're going to see dances. We're going to see dances we haven't seen. We're going to see hear songs we haven't heard. We're going to see all kinds of creative arts come forth. And I, all of the people that can't handle that, I don't know what to say, except the fact that a lot of things are changing, not just that area. And those people that are going to take a hold of it and go, God's going to use them mightily. He's going to use these things to bring in the last day revival, the last, uh, the bringing in the harvest. God's going to take everything back. Every kingdom is coming back into the hands of God, and he's going to take it back for his purposes. And so I'm trying to find something here, but I don't think I'm doing a good job. Um, but he's saying, behold, I do a new thing. Uh, Mama, what's the scripture? The one, behold, I do a new thing. The one that you that the Lord gives you all the time. It's in Isaiah. Okay, you hadn't looked it up for me. I was thinking you'd had that one already ready. Right, I knew she knew. Isaiah 43, 
19. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that makes me want to preach another message, but I can't. All right. Now, but I just want to tell you that God's doing some new things. And things are going to begin to change radically in the church as we know it. Things are not going to be done as usual. But... We've got to let him show us how to do them because we hadn't done them that way before. And one of the things that the Lord has taught me, and he told me one day, he said, I want you to stop thinking you know what I want to do. He said, you don't know what I want to do till I tell you. And I hadn't told you. He said, I want you to stop assuming you know what I'm wanting to do next. So what it means is that means I have to walk by faith. I have to walk by faith thinking, okay, now, Lord, you're going to tell me the next thing to do, right? In other words, I can't move until he tells me what to do. And that makes me totally dependent upon him. That means I can't take any of my own abilities and do anything. Up until then, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, I kind of know how to do this. You do one of these, and you do two of those, and you do one of these, and you do one of these, and you do one of that, and then the Lord moves, and then, you know, we kind of figure this thing out, don't we? This thing called religion. We kind of figure it out. Oh, you do one of these and you dance over here. And then you do one of these and you dance over here. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, you know. And we have this little plan and then you think, okay, next week we're going to do one of these over here. And then we're going to do one of these over here. And then the Lord's going to move. And then the next week we come back and we say, we're going to do one of these over here. We're going to do one of these over here. And then God moves. And then we just become some kind of little robot thing that God's not even in. And we're just totally doing our own thing and leaving God out of it. And he said, I want you to quit it. Quit it. Don't think you know what I want to do until I tell you. And then when I tell you, you do it and it will work. Because, you know, Jesus said, I do nothing lest I first see the Father do it. Jesus was totally dependent upon the Father to show him exactly what to do every minute. And there was a lot of things that people thought he should do, he didn't do. Some of the religious people said, well, I don't think you should do that. And and I do think you need to do this. And he says, well, I don't really care what you think. I can't do it unless my Father tells me I can. And I had that same thing to happen to me one time. I was in a service and somebody says, I want you to come over here and lay your hands on this person and minister to them. And I went over there and I, I just stood there and I just kind of prayed around them. I was trying to help the person, you know. I said, well, you just go for it and you just do what you need to do. You know, I'll just kind of support you. She got totally mad with me. She said, I told you to lay your hands on her, him and prophesy over him and minister to him. And the Lord had spoken to me before I got there and he said, don't you lay your hands on anybody today. And she was saying, I want you to, you know, lay your hands on him and prophesy over him. I said, well, somebody's missing it, you know. I said, but what I got to do is I got to be true. The Spirit of God in me, the Spirit of the Lord told me not to lay my hands on anybody today. So I didn't. Well, when we got finished with the ministry, I got a rebuke. You didn't do what I told you to do. I said, well, listen, I'm not being disrespectful to you. I apologize if I hurt your feelings. I did not mean to do that. I just had a clear word from God before I got here. Today, I would not lay for me not to lay hands on anybody during this particular service. And I said, I cannot disobey that. Well, she still stayed mad with me, but I don't know what to do about that. You know, I said, well, Lord, you know. And see, if I'm wrong, God's going to honor that just because I'm trying to be obedient to him. Because my heart was to be obedient. Because the Bible tells me that obedience is better than sacrifice. God's going to honor obedience. Folks, we've got to get to the point where we are obedient to the Father. And that's what he's trying to teach in me. But today we're talking about the power of God and the power that's in our Lord Jesus. So and he wants us to be in his image. And we know that Jesus uh, is the image of his Father God. Let's look at... Um, Mark 9, 1. Now, one day, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's going up to the mountain. And in the Bible, it talks about this being the mountain or the Mount of Transfiguration. This is what this comes from. But he's one day, he's walking, and he says, Hey, come on, you, John and James and Peter. Y'all come with me. 
I want you to come with me. So they go walking up and they go to the mountain. And when they get there, all of a sudden, Jesus' clothes begins to shine. I mean, this total bright illumination is just something that's not normal. It's very abnormal. And uh, all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appears with Jesus. And they're all glowing, this illumination, this, this white light that's so bright. And the disciples, they don't know what to think about it. They say, oh, Jesus. Do we need to run, go build some altars? Or, you know, what do we need to do? You know how we are. We get nervous when the Spirit of God begins to manifest, don't we? Ah, what do we do? What do we do? You know, uh, let, let us raise up some altars or something. You know, we, we got to go to work. We got to get busy working. And um, so Jesus is standing there, and my, uh, Moses and Elijah, they're, they're speaking, and, and, um, and Peter and James and John are there, and, and they're trying to, receive all this in they're trying to figure out okay now what am I a part of and what's going on here and Jesus says some very important words and I want you to hear the words that he spoke he said surely I say to you that the that some are standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power Jesus said surely as I'm speaking to you today There are some of you standing here that will not taste death until until they see the kingdom of God with power. Now, was he talking about way in the future sometime, you know, at the end time when Jesus comes in the clouds and all that? I don't think so because we know that Elijah and um, Moses have already gone. They're not here anymore. And we know that... um, Peter and James and John, that they would not taste death, that they would not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Where is this kingdom going to come if they're going to see it? Evidently, it must be in visual view. Wouldn't you think if they're going to see the kingdom of God come with power? Okay, so we find here that the kingdom of God present here, if we is present here with us and you can see it, it must be here on earth. The kingdom of God present how? It's going to be, pow- it's going to be present with power. That's what I want you to get. Jesus told the disciples to pray like this, Matthew six thirteen. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. And he also said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, where was that kingdom to come and his will be done? Where was that supposed to take place? Who of you knows the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Here on earth, as as it is where? In heaven. So the kingdom of God is going to come to the earth and be present here on the earth, and it's going to be present in power. Well, we know that, as I said earlier, that Jesus said, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My Father and I are one. Later, when Jesus began his ministry, what did he do? He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the lepers. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He, he forgave sinners of their sins, and he offered and he offered them eternal life. Luke sixteen sixteen, the law and the prophets were, were until John. Now listen, the law and the prophets were until John. Because I told you about John the prophet. When John came on the scene, things were changing. We were moving from one season to a new season. Now, what's happening now is we're changing from one season to another season. And I'm telling you, the prophets are on the scene. The prophets are on the scene, and that's my office as the prophet. And I'm telling you, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm telling you, now's the time to get your act cleaned up. This is not a time to be playing around in sin. Now's not the time to be in the world lost. Now's the time to get things, get inside and get in the ark and get ready. But he says right here, until the law 
I mean, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And every man presses or forces or pushes into it. And that's what I was telling some of you that were here on that Friday night God was dealing with me about. As he says, um, and every man presses or forces or pushes into it. We are in a time where we are being pushed and we're being pressed and we're being, we're, the Spirit of God is on people and it's on us heavily. And the conviction is there. And if you don't understand it as conviction, it's, that's what it is. And if it's not, if it doesn't need to be conviction, if you've already taken care of stuff, then the pressure and the pushing is on you to move in closer to Jesus, to move in closer to God. And the only thing I could give as an example of that was, you know how you can take Play-Doh and these little shapes that kids use, and you take that Play-Doh and you press it against that shape, and you press it and you press and you smash and you whatever, and you press on it hard enough that when you take that Play-Doh off that thing, guess what is the image of it? It's the image of whatever it's pressed up against, right? He is pressing us into the image of his dear son. We are being pressed and pressed and pushed into the image of Jesus. And I'm telling you, when we are pulled up off that thing, we're going to look like Jesus. We're going to walk like Jesus. We're going to talk like Jesus. You're going to think he's here and present because that's what we're going to look like. That's what we're going to act like. That's what we're going to talk like. We're being pressed into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Now, we just said, now Jesus already showed us the Father, because if he says you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And we know God was a God of power. We know Jesus was a, 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 a king of power. We know that he did all those things. He, we know that he healed the sick. He uh, cast out devils. He did all those things. But what did Jesus tell us? He said, greater things shall you do. Greater things shall you do than I've done. Jesus said that. Well, Jesus raised the dead. This is my grandbaby, and she's sweet, and man, I love her. <clears throat> Jesus said, greater things shall you do than I've done. And Jesus raised the dead. How many of you out here has been raising the dead this week? Listen. God spoke to me about a week ago, about two weeks ago, maybe two, three. I don't know. But anyway, I was going to speak in Glenville, Georgia. And the Lord began to, I was praying about what message to take to those people. And the Lord spoke a word. He said, infidelity. And I thought, well, infidelity, you know, that kind of just leads me straight into thinking about marriages and unfaithfulness and all that. And so I said, well, surely that can't be the message. So I said, well, I'm just going to seek the Lord some more and say, now, Lord, that must not be it. You know, uh, just give me something else, Lord. So I'm, you know, praying, you know, I said, Lord. Oh, you know. And um, he said, okay, faith, unfaithful. And I thought, well, that's just a derivative of the same word. I mean, it's just, a, you know, unfaithful. Well, infidelity, unfaithful. We're on the same, you know, we haven't gone anywhere, Lord. Something else, you know, give me something else. Repent. I got the word repent. You know, all this. But anyway. So I began to, I said, okay, well, you must be pretty stuck on what you want me to preach about. You know, whatever. And so I began to really say, well, what is it? You know, you want me to get into marriages? What is this all about? You know, where are you going with this, Lord? And so as I began to uh, pray and get before the Lord and get in the word and all, the Lord began to show me that he was not talking about marriages and he wasn't talking about any of that. He was talking about being unfaithful to the Father. Because... When we are not justly representing the original, then that is a form of unfaithfulness. So he was showing me that his heart is grieved because the body of Christ is unfaithful. And we're unfaithful because we are not justly representing the original. We are not justly representing Jesus to the world. When we go out into the world and we are powerless and we cannot, we don't have a word in due season, we don't have uh, the power flowing in us and we're not representing him to the community, that is a form of unfaithfulness. 
because the people of the world may will not ever see God in 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 his form in heaven. The only example of him they will see is us. And if they see us as a defeated, broken down, hurting people with more problems than they have, then they're not we're not justly representing the original. And that is a form of unfaithfulness. And so God was showing me that his heart is grieved because he is not being represented represented to the community as he really is. Remember the first scripture that I told you? He said, don't boast about your money. Don't boast about your strength. Don't boast about all that. But boast that you know me and that you know that I am kind and merciful and righteous. Boast about me. And let the world know that I'm a good God that loves the people and wants to help the people. But see, I don't think they know that because we're not carrying that message to a hurting world. And folks, we gotta be a, we've got to be a people that represent him as he really is. And that is a God of power. Folks, we don't serve a broken down God that can't fix things. We don't serve a powerless God. We serve the almighty God that is all power and has the ability to take care of things. And then Jesus came along and he demonstrated the same thing. He showed us that even death was subject to him. And he said, greater things shall you do. Now let me tell you what he said about us. We've talked about God the Father. We've talked about Jesus. Now let's see what he says about us personally. And this is where I'm going to call out a lot of scripture and you might want to jot them down. I'm going to read them. Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Mark three fourteen through 16. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Mark 6, 7. And he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them power over every unclean spirit. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you authority or power to trample on the serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. He said, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Not some of it, not a little bit of it, not parts of it, but he said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Luke 24:49 Behold I send the promise to, of my father upon you that tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He said I you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Acts 1:8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Acts 4.33, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Acts 5.12, and through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they, well, and they were on the porch, anyway, that's not important. Acts 6, 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. 1 Corinthians 2, 5, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Folks, I'm telling you, he came and he gave us power, and it's in us. Now, we may not be walking in it. We may not be uh, release, allowing it to be released. But I'm telling you, the power is in us. If you're born again, If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, power resides in you. And you've been called to walk in that power. You have to first do what the kingdom of God tells us. And that is you've got to believe. Folks, we don't believe. We don't. We really don't believe that that same power that was in Jesus Christ dwells within us. Because if we ever really do believe, we're going to see great things happen in our midst.
You know, Paul, it was so interesting to me that Paul said, I don't come to you with elegant words. I don't come in here and I try to, with a little poem and a little thing, you know, I'm not trying to entertain you. I come with power and demonstration. Isn't that what we want? People are so tired of church as usual. People come into the, into churches. They come in with big problems. People don't have little problems anymore. They don't come to church and want us to pray that Johnny gets a hundred on his math test. They don't come with that request anymore. They come and they say, I got AIDS. I need to be healed. They come with big, big problems. I've lost my job. I have no income. None. I've got a friend and I was telling about um, up in Atlanta. She and her husband, they have six children. She's just given birth to, she's got five children. She's just given birth to the sixth child. The sixth child is like three months old. Her husband lost his job six months ago. She can't work because she's just had the baby and got five other kids. So she's got six kids, so she's got to keep those anyway. And so she can't work. He's got without a, out a job, and they have no money. They have already repossessed the car, so now they have no car, no vehicle to go and look for a job. They can't even go anywhere, like go get groceries because they have no transportation. Live in the big city, which probably they have a convenience store. But anyway, um, but they have no car because that's been repossessed. And they've got so many weeks before they've got to vacate their house because they're three months or more behind on their house payment. So they're repossessing the house. Now, what do you do with a husband and six children? What do they do? Go sit on the street corner? I mean, surely they got family somewhere, maybe, but I'm telling you, people got big problems. I mean, they're trying to believe for food and shelter. And there's so much of this going on, it's far more than you realize if you don't get out. I, you know, the only reason I know is because I have so many people requesting prayer. And, uh, but I'm telling you, it is kind of thing where I'm saying, God, I need a real big God and I need a God of power. I need a God that when I go to him and I go to him on behalf of somebody, I can believe that he is going to move for them. Another man and his woman from Darien told me that um, he was in the car business and he lost his job and then she lost her, well, actually they were from California and they left California and come here I don't know why, I can't remember that part. But anyway, all I know is they're in the same situation. They don't have children, the little kids. But they're totally without any income, no money, no car. And uh, they just told me that they have to come up with $3,700-something anyway. Or they're going to have to get out of their house in the next couple of weeks. And, and I'm saying, Lord, we need a miracle. Father, I need a miracle on their behalf. I need you to move in power. Somebody's got to believe God. Somebody's got to rise to the occasion and let a dying, hurting world know that there's a God that's well able. That he's able to do above and beyond all that we can think or imagine. And listen, I believe it. I really do. I really believe it. Let me tell you this. Remember I told you I wanted you to learn that scripture in Ecclesiastes that says where the, uh, the, uh, where the word of a king is, there is power. Everybody remember that? Everybody say it. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Listen. Revelation tells us in 1.6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever. He has made us kings and priests. Revelations 5.10 And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the, where? Earth. He has made us kings and priests, and he has made us to reign, not in heaven when we get there in the by and by. He has called us kings and priests that we should reign here on earth. And he said, and where the voice or the word of a king is, there's what? Power. 
So I have power because I'm a king. And when I decree something in the name of Jesus, there's power behind it. The power of heaven is behind it. If I believe. Because see, the whole kingdom of God is by faith. And he said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we're not going to believe God, we're not going to believe that God is. And we're not going to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we're not going to believe that he is the almighty God, the all-sufficient one. If we're not going to believe that he sent his son Jesus and that his son Jesus was uh, displayed his power here on earth for us as an example, then no, we're not going to walk in that. No, we're not. But if we will but believe, if we will only believe that God is who he says he is, that he is a mighty God of power, he is our maker and our creator, that he gave power to Jesus, and that he, Jesus, gave that to us, then we are going to see the mighty army of God come forth. But I want to tell you something. They're coming forth. I'm, they're going to come forth. With or without you. With or without me. Because people are rising to that. The Spirit of God is drawing a people to that. The Spirit of God is drawing a people. And they're say, he's saying, come, come, there's more. Come on, come on. And there are people that are answering that call. And I'm one of them. I'm telling you, I'm going. I'm going to be one of those that you see the signs and the wonders and miracles flowing through because I believe what he said is true. And I believe what he said he will do. I believe he is a faithful father that loves his children. I believe that he is a righteous God. And I believe he said that it can flow through me. Now I'm going to give you the ending of this whole thing. And I'm going to tell you what this is all about. The whole thing. What was all of that about that I just preached? What was all of that about when God created Adam and Eve and he created the earth and the whole thing? What was all of that about? All right, we're going to look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam, as in Adam all would die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. He's explaining all about, you know, about Adam and the fall and about Jesus, you know, redo, undoing that. But each one in his own order. First there was Christ, the first fruits. We know that Jesus was the firstborn of, of the dead for the, for the new uh, church, for the... Um, for the kingdom of God, he was the firstborn of the kingdom of God, where we can be saved by grace and born into the kingdom. Then comes the end. Now listen, we're going to talk about the end. This is what's coming ahead. Then will come the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. I want to break this down for you. He's saying it first started off, it started off when Jesus was born. What Adam and Eve messed up, Jesus fixed. And we started at Jesus, and anybody that accepts Jesus can be born into the family of God, and the kingdom of God is being established here on the earth. And that is going, that's happening through the church age. And we are coming now to the end of the church age. And we are closing that time up. And we're opening up the kingdom age. Because what's got to happen is that the kingdom of God has got to be established here on the earth in power. And when all the other power, the principalities and powers of darkness, when all the other kingdoms, the kingdoms of Babylon, the systems of this world, when they begin to be put under Jesus' feet, and, and, the, and the kingdom of God is ruling in power on the earth, the end can be, and then God, Jesus is going to take the kingdom, and he's going to say, and he's got, Jesus has got to rule until that happens. 
But when that happens, when the church begins to unite and they begin to walk in power and the kingdom of God is being demonstrated and being uh, displayed here on the earth, Jesus is going to say, here now, Father, here is the kingdom. uh, And he lifts it up to the Father. And he can present it to the he can present it to the Father at that time, and he says, "And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death." He has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things, he's not talking about God. Uh, it is evident that he puts all things under his feet is ex- accepted, not when all things are uh, made subject to him. Then the Son Himself also will also be subject to Him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And what he's saying is, well, when he means everything under Jesus' feet, he's not talking about God. He's talking about everything but that. He's not putting God under his feet. He's putting everything under his feet that's here on the earth, the earth system, the old um, uh, sinful world, worldly system. And then when the kingdom of uh, his dear son begins to rule and reign. Now, let's look at another scripture. Y'all turn to Ephesians 9 through 11. I mean, Ephesians 3, excuse me. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 9 through 11. This will be my last uh, last scripture, and then we can relax a minute. Um, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now, see, there's been a mystery. And he's wanting everybody to see the mystery, which was from the beginning of the age, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now... The manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. He's saying he wants this mystery to be made known to principalities and powers. Now, who is going to let the principalities and powers, who's going to be announcing that to the principalities and powers that Jesus is Lord and he's king? Who's going to be announcing that? It says, by the church. That it might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. The church is going to be making it known to the principalities and powers that Jesus Christ is Lord and they are powerless. They are going to be put under our feet. They are going to be uh, rendered powerless and of no effect. And when the church begins to do that, the kingdom of God, will Jesus will take what we what we're doing and offer it to the Father, because that is the only way that the Father will accept it. He's not going to accept where demonic powers rule and reign. I'm thinking that requires us to get up and do something. I mean, it kind of seems that way to me. It's kind of sounding like we got to get up and do something. We can't just sit here and just come and sing and, and uh, feel good for about an hour and go home and then do the same thing we've always done and come back the next week the same way. We can't do that. That's not working. That is not working. But even though it's not working, there'll be people that's going to fight you over that. They're going to want to keep that old system. Even though they know it is not successful. They know it don't work. They know that they can't even hardly bribe people to get in, come to the church. But they will fight you to keep that system going, even though it's a dead-end street. Makes no sense to me. You know, it's always been my thing. If it don't work, then we got to change something, you know. If something's not working, we need to fix it and change it. But now the, the secret here is finding out how God wants it done. Going back to God, what the Lord told me earlier, you know, quit thinking you know what I want to do. So I've learned that I can't assume that I know what God wants unless he clearly speaks that to me. So I know that this is going to be a learning process for us. We've got to learn how to flow with the Holy Ghost, how we've got to hear what he's saying and only do what he tells us to do. Because he's got a plan. I'm telling you people, he has got a plan. All we've got to do is tap into that plan, get a hold of what it is he's doing and do that.
Second Timothy 1, 6 through 8 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us what? Anybody know that scripture? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what? But power. He's given us power, people. He's given us power. And a sound mind to go with that power. God is calling us to a new place. He is moving us out of that old church age. And he's moving us into the kingdom age. Where the kingdom of God is coming forth. And it is coming forth in power. And he has put that power within us. But Timothy goes on to tell us, Timothy 3, 2 through 6, he says, For men will be lovers of themselves. This is what it's going to look like when the kingdom comes on the scene. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the what? The power. And from people, these such people turn away. He said they're going to deny the power. See, that is what God is wanting us to embrace. He's wanting us to embrace who we are in Him. In, in ourselves, no, we're nothing. In ourselves, our flesh is weak. But in Him, He has made us more than conquerors. He's given us power over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. Folks, I'm telling you, in the days ahead, the word that the Lord gave me, and I'm not on, I'm not get into cliches and little jingles. Uh, I think that's silly, but He did give it to me that way, and I'm just going to hand it, I'm going to give it to you. He said, Know your mind in 2009. And He was showing me that there are many people that don't know what they believe, and they don't know on what they stand. It's time to get to the point where you personally know the Lord for yourself. Don't let somebody else have the relationship for you and just tell you everything. You need to know for yourself that Jesus loves you and that you love him. And you need to know the scriptures on where you stand about things. Where do you stand about healing? Where do you stand about finances? Where do you stand about the Holy Ghost? Where do you stand about deliverance? You need to know these things because you're going to get to be tested on it. And if you don't know and the enemy comes, if he comes to you in sickness and you don't know what the word, God, word says on sickness, it's going to be hard for you to stand when you're already sick and hurting. But if you've got that word in you and you already know that sickness is from the enemy, that greater is he that sent me than he that sent the word, and that by Jesus' stripes I am healed. If you don't know that healing is for you, then it's going to be hard for you to resist that when it comes to your door. And other problems that comes to your door, provision, things like that. If you don't know what God has said, But I'm telling you today, God is calling us to a place of power and to a place of identity where we know who we are in Christ Jesus, where we know that we serve a powerful God and that we know that he has placed that same power and anointing in in us.